0: Good morning, church. My name is Susanda. Uh I'm, I'm in one of the life groups of North Wake. I'm going to be reading from the book of Psalms, 110, 10, from verse 1 until verse 7. It reads as follows. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand, He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is the word of God.
1: All right, everybody, why don't you join me as I pray for us. Father God, we are so grateful for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit works in us. Father, please, will you use me today to preach your Word faithfully. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit will be upon those who are listening, that their hearts may be affected and stabbed by that double-edged sword, which is your Word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this, th- let me tell you, this is what's just happened over the past month or two. You've been reflecting. Chances are, end of December, you either went to, on leave, or you stayed at home, or you went back to family, which I f- doesn't often feel like leave, does it, because you've got to do a lot of things, but at least there's a change of pace, right? And what happens is, if over those times, you begin to sort of reflect on your life, don't you? Because there's a change of pace, you start thinking about things and you start thinking, what is missing in my life? Or what do I need to add? And, and for some of us, uh, usually straight after Christmas, we, we sort of look downwards and go, yeah, I need the gym. If you like me, that, that, is, that is me. I, I am blaming this year on Gammon and, and Fiona Lombard's shortbread biscuits because she makes amazing shortbread biscuits. If you've never tried them, ask who she is. Ask if she doesn't mind making you some, and then I'll see you in two weeks on the treadmill, all right? Okay, but there's other things we do, isn't it? We, we, we start to think maybe of how we are within our families. Uh, are we uh, the husband we should be? Are we the wife we should be? Uh, are we the sibling we should be? Uh, we start to think perhaps of how we, we're taking on work and how we, how we present ourselves in the workplace or, or, or our work ethics. You know, there's a whole lot of things, right? This is the, we've just done the time of reflecting. And, and for, for many of us, there's that spiritual side as well. We reflect and we think to ourselves, you know what, perhaps this year I, I need to focus more on Jesus, and that's the reason why some of you, perhaps, you might not have been at church for a long time. Uh, you, you've been away from church, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, actually, I think I need to just get my life right. And, and this Jesus guy, maybe I need to come back to him. For the rest of you, it could just be that you have been here for a while, but now you're thinking, I need to take the next step with my walk with the Lord. And perhaps it is just attending a Bible study Or perhaps it's doing our Explore course or our Christianity Explored courses. Whatever it is, we're thinking to ourselves, we need to improve with this Jesus. And so the question of this sermon, and it's the question that I think Psalm 110 can ask us, is, are we coming to the right Jesus? Because here's what happens. People come to Jesus but they have they often come to him without a view that is balanced for example they'll come to him and they'll see him as loving but they don't necessarily see or sometimes they don't even want to see him as judge or king of the world and therefore they don't really make him as the lord of his of their lives others will come to him longing for him to be like a king in their life longing to for guidance for instruction So they'll see him as King and Lord of their lives, but they don't necessarily see him as the loving Lord. And because we have this misbalanced view of Jesus, we will either lean on one side or we'll lean on the other. And if we lean too far in one direction, we'll likely end up giving up on our faith. And that, my friends not only gives us issues in this life, but it can have eternal consequences. So what is a balanced view of Jesus? Well, Psalm 110 is going to help us out with this. But before we get there, you might actually be asking yourself this question. How in the world is Psalm 110 about Jesus? It's in the Old Testament. If you read the text, you don't see the name of Jesus coming up in it anywhere. And I'm actually going to add to this by telling you that this psalm was written by David a thousand years before Jesus was born. So how do we, how do we know the psalm is about Jesus? Well, there's an interesting thing in this psalm that has baffled many people. Okay, So it's a psalm of David. It tells you there in the divinely inspired subscript, which is there. It says a psalm of David. That was written by David's own hand. It's a psalm of David. And in the first verse, there's something that's very odd. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Lord, which is the God of the Bible, says to my Lord. Now, the reason why this is such a strange text is because David was the greatest king in the Old Testament. Who in the world would David call my Lord. Who is greater than David that he would be known as my Lord? And so what I did when I was preparing for this sermon was I, I researched quite widely and I ended up coming across some commentaries that were written by Bible teachers, rabbis, Jewish teachers, during the time of Jesus. So I got a a, 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 bird, a, a bird's eye view? No, a, a look into what people around Jesus' time thought this passage meant and none of them could make sense of it. they all had different answers. it, it was crazy to me that no one could tell me from that from from, from Jesus' time except for Jesus himself no one had a clue what the psalm was talking about. some said it was Abraham and that would be a good a good suggestion. Abraham is the, known as the father of the Jewish nation. So he would be someone considered greater than than David himself. But if you look at verse 4 in our passage, it tells us that this Lord, whoever he is, he's a priest forever. He's an eternal priest. As far as I know, Abraham died. Some said maybe David is talking about himself in the third person. He's saying, my Lord, as in he's referring to himself. But nowhere else in the Psalms does David ever do that. He never calls himself in the third person. If you, if you skip over, you don't have to do it now, but if you read in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 37, so when you get a chance, go home and read this. It's very helpful. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 37, we get a view of what other people during that time thought this passage was about. And some just thought it was simply a human king that would come from David's line. But Jesus says to the people, Why would David ever call one of his descendants king, or, I'm sorry, descendants lord, as in put one of his own descendants above himself? That's an absurd, absurd thought. So who is this guy? Even in Hebrews 1 verse 13, the author tells us, it can't be an angel, because the Lord never said to any of the angels, sit at my right hand. Well, if you look at the evidence, the only people this can be is Jesus. Because our verse says that this Lord, whoever he is, sits at the right hand of the Father. Not even David can sit on the, play, the same playing field as God the Father. To sit at the Lord's right hand, you've got to be greater. Only Jesus can achieve that. Only Jesus can be the forever priest because he's eternal. And, and so when we look at this passage, there's clear evidence that this passage is pointing. Very clearly to Jesus. Finally, Jesus actually tells us it's Him. If you read in Matthew's Gospel, and you read in Matthew chapter 26, this is Jesus standing before the Roman authorities. He's been captured, and they ask Him if He's the Messiah, and He quotes the psalm. And straight after that, they send Him uh, to be crucified, so the evidence clearly points to Jesus. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I am the Christ. Which is incredible because this was a thousand years before Jesus was born. There were A thousand years before him, people were talking about him. Who of you have had people talk about you a thousand years before you were born? That's good. Nobody. I was just checking in case I had to talk to someone after the service. All right. So I've only got two points now that we've, we've gone down that side road. Uh, what is this passage saying about Jesus? So that's the question. What is it saying about Jesus? And there's really only two points. And my first point is going to be, well, let me say my second point is just going to be five minutes. My first point is going to be a lot longer, and I think that's because the text is actually pushing me in that direction. And, uh, and the points really are this. If you're taking notes, the two points are this. He's ruler and priest. That's point one. And point two is he's judge. He's ruler and priest, and he's judge. So point number one, he's ruler and priest. So when you look at through verses 1 to 4, what does it tell you about Jesus? Well, for starters, you see that he's a ruler. It says that he's Lord, and God has given him the opportunity to sit at his right hand until his enemies are a footstool. Verse 2, it says that he rules over his enemies. So what kind of ruler is he? Well, in verses 5 and 6, he's a ruler that shatters kings, and he executes judgment by, by filling the nations with corpses and scattering the heads of those corpses across the earth. So if you're reading an ESV, it might say that he shatters chiefs, but the phrase there is literally to shatter heads. So he's a ruler, and he's quite a scary one at that. He's like this imposing force. He's not somebody to be taken lightly. And yet, even though he's quite intimidating, there's something something about him that makes people in verse 3 run to him. I mean, imagine if that description of someone who literally shatters heads of nations comes to your house. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? You'd be a little bit wary of this person. Such strength and such power. But I think the reason why people run to him is because of verse 4. You see, although he's a mighty, fierce ruler, he's also a priest. Now, a priest's job was essentially this. They they were in the realm of connecting people with God. Sin means that people cannot have a relationship with God. So priests offered sacrifices to the Lord as a way of asking asking God for forgiveness. So what would happen is you as a Jew would bring lambs or various kinds of animals without fault to the priest. And the priest would take that lamb, check that it was unblemished. So they would basically see that it wasn't scarred or cut. um, And then what they would do is they would sacrifice that lamb. And what would happen is it was seen as your sin that you should be punished for by death was put onto that lamb. And that lamb would be killed and sacrificed in your place so that you could be forgiven in the eyes of the Lord and therefore you could have a relationship with the Lord. All right? The problem is with those sacrifices is that there's no such thing as a sacrifice that is, as a lamb that is really not blemished. Because that lamb exists in a sinful world. So what had to happen is a lamb had to come that wasn't blemished. That could never be blemished. Had to come. And so Jesus comes. And so Jesus is the priest, but he is an incredible priest in that he's also the sacrifice. He offers a solution to death because death is the result of sin. And his forgiveness offers eternal life because unlike unlike the the. The animal lamb that comes, that their forgiveness is only temporal. Jesus' forgiveness is everlasting. So, the Lord spoken about in this passage is not just a mighty ruler, he's actually worth coming to because he offers forgiveness. He offers a relationship with the Lord, which is something we crave because we crave to have a relationship with someone who can help us through our challenges, someone who can be there for us, someone who we can talk to, who knows how the whole world works and we can communicate with them, and someone who eventually gives us eternal life when we die. So why, so here's my question, is why does the psalmist choose to talk about the priest and the and the kingly role of, of Jesus in the same passage. You know, why didn't he just separate it and talk about the king and then have another uh, psalm when he talks about the priest? No, the reason why he does this is because you and I, if we want to have a right relationship with the Lord, we need to have a balanced view of Jesus. You need to see him as both Lord and as priest. You need to have a balanced view of him. If you see him as just one side, you will struggle in your Christian walk and possibly fall away from the Lord. What do I mean? Well, if he's too much of a priest in your life, then here's what can happen. You'll turn to Jesus, and he'll fulfill the role of priest in your life. He'll forgive you of your sin, and you'll have a relationship with the Father, but he won't be king. Think about this. There are many people who are coming here today because they want to find forgiveness. and That's a great thing. You're here because your lives are broken. You have done things wrong and you've decided to start the new year by coming to church and sorting out your life. So you come to Jesus seeking forgiveness, starting afresh. And you might find that today you find that forgiveness and, and you start to feel that joy that comes from knowing that that burden, That that guilt that's been on you has now been put on the lamb and the lamb has been sacrificed. And you are so rejoicing because the eternal priest has done his role. And you walk out here and you're in such joy. But you'll start having problems if Jesus is not also the king of your life. Because then what will happen is your prayers will be all about you. Why is that? Because you'll leave this place and you'll start doing this. You'll start praying about your career. You'll start praying about your family, your health, etc. All good things. They're great things to pray for. But if God is not guiding your life, then six months from now, when you look back on your relationship with the Lord, you'll see that your relationship was all about you asking for everything and there was nothing in there about seeking His guidance. See, to this kind of person, things like church and God's word are not important. Sure, they'll read verses sent to them on WhatsApp, but they don't desire God's word. You don't see these people soaking up different books of the Bible, wrestling with them, asking questions, going to life group and to Bible studies to grow. You won't see them. When you do see them, you'll see them perhaps attending church on Sunday. But in their minds, they're thinking, you know what? I can actually do without church. It's a symbol that they don't actually see just how important church is. What's really important to them is to simply believe in Jesus. Because that means I'm forgiven. I can have a relationship with the Lord. He's done his priestly role. All I need to do is just trust in him. And here's where these people will then go. is they go to this step, they'll say, then I can ask for whatever I want from the Lord and he'll do it. For you, church isn't important. Holiness isn't important. Growing in your understanding in the Lord is not important. Rather, what is important is simply having that communication channel with the Lord so that I can ask him for things. And if I pray for my job, God's got to do what I say. If I pray for my child's future, God's got to give it. If I pray for my company not to fail, God's got to keep it afloat. If I pray for my marriage, God's got to keep it together. But here's the thing. If the loving ruler chooses to do something different to what you pray for, perhaps because he knows better, you're not going to like it. Because Jesus is not ruler in your life. He's merely the priest who gives you communication with God. He's more of your servant to you. He's, he's not your God. In fact, what you're doing is you're flipping roles around. Just hear yourself out for a second. You're making all the demands on him to do whatever you need so that you can succeed. Who's worshipping who? God's worshipping you. You need a balanced view of Jesus. You can tell if someone sees Jesus as king and priest if they have a balanced view because they're hungry to seek the one who has forgiven them. They choose to get to know his word, and as they do that, you see them change. Church and serving in church becomes important. Holiness becomes important. And most importantly, God becomes important. You know what happens when when you it's kind of like when you have a relationship with God like this, where he's just priest and you're doing all the talking and he's not king of your life. Here's what happens. It's kind of like going on a date and you're sitting on the other side of the table, but you're doing all the talking and you're never allowing the other person to talk back. That's not a relationship. In fact, my teenagers will tell you that you're worshiping yourself. (laughs) Let me ask you some questions before I, I, I flip this around. If someone asks for Christian advice, does your advice come from the Bible? If not, Jesus is likely more priest than king. Is your commitment to church only attending on Sunday? If yes, Jesus is more priest than king. Does your life look more like a non-Christian's than a Christian's? If yes, Jesus is more likely priest than he is king. Can you tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? If not, Jesus is more likely priest than he is king. Are your career goals, which are really important, but are they more important than the growth of God's kingdom? If yes, Jesus is more likely priest than king. And parents, is academic achievement in your children more important than their own relationship with God? If yes, when you are parenting, you're showing your kids that Jesus is more priest than king. But just as likely as we can see Jesus as more priest, we can also likely see Jesus as more king. These people who see Jesus as more king, they're kind of like the suck-ups, okay? They tend to think that life will go better if they tick off all the religious boxes, if they go to church, read their Bibles, do what God says, they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't wear revealing clothing, only listen to gospel music, and don't go to nightclubs, the only place they get down at is at church choir during the week. I'm allowed to make that joke, I'm part of the church choir, okay? <laughs> <laughs> then they tend to think to themselves, if I just take off all the religious boxes, then here's what happens, God's going to bless me. Now, let me, get to, let, me, let me just say, it's great to be holy, and it's great that you're striving to live godly lives. But if you're doing it to impress God, here's the thing you need to know. God cannot be impressed by sinners. Because sin is what separates us from having a relationship with God. You've got to understand that sin is like a huge blanket between us and God. No matter how good you are, the blanket doesn't go away. You can be as impressive as you like. The only person who can take sin away is Jesus. I often think to myself, it's it's amazing. I meet a lot of people who will say that they have to be good enough for God. And then I I think to myself, well, well then why did Jesus ever come? What was the point? If God was sitting in heaven, you can imagine the conversation between God the Father and God the Son. They could be like, God the Father could say, oh, look, you don't have to go. You don't have to li- leave this perfect place to go into a sinful world, to spend 30 years of your life living in sin, and then after that you, you, you die. You don't have to do that. That would be a way better option, wouldn't I mean, God would be silly to send his son, his only son, sacrifice his child to die on a cross If people could be good enough, no, you need to trust in the priest. But here's what's going to happen is there are some people here today, you've perhaps decided you're coming back to church because you want to change your life around. Or maybe you've been at church for a while, but this is the year you're going to change your life around. So what you're going to do is you say to yourself, you're going to start going to Bible study, start serving in church, start dressing right, giving up a whole lot of things like alcohol and swearing. Good on you. Wonderful. But let me tell you something. Six months from now, you're going to start to feel guilty if you don't see Jesus as a priest. Why? Because you can never be good enough. Here's the joy. You don't have to be. He takes the burden of being good enough on himself. When he came to this earth, he lived the perfect life, and he died the perfect death, so that you can, so that you don't have to. In other words, when the Father looks at you and he says, "Why should I allow someone like Rafa to to come into heaven?" Jesus says, "He trusts in me, and because he trusts in me, I lived the life that he couldn't live, and I died the death that he couldn't die. I took his punishment on myself, so that he is now innocent." Let me tell you, if you are someone here, you thinking to yourself, this year I'm going to try and be good enough, that's great, good on you. I hope you, you, you stick to a lot of the things that you're ticking off. But here's the thing, we don't have to feel guilty. Why? Because we can know that Jesus has actually taken the burden of being good enough on himself. What a joy is it to come to the one who is the priest and to know that we are forgiven. Let me ask you some questions before we go to the final point. Are you a good scholar of God's word with very little prayer? In other words, are you the kind of person who spends a lot of time every day perhaps reading your Bible, reading your words, yet your prayer life is non-existent? If yes, Jesus is more king than he is priest. Do you feel guilty for not living up to God's standards? If yes, Jesus is more king than he is priest. Do you find Christianity difficult because of all its rules? If yes, Jesus is more king than he is priest. Do you think God will not accept you because of who you are? If yes, Jesus is more king than he is priest. In your parenting, and again, parents, listen up here. Is morally right children more important than them having a relationship with Jesus? If yes, the way you are parenting is you are showing Jesus to be more king than priest. Should children come to church more than come to Jesus? If you think that as a parent, then you're parenting with Jesus being more king than he is priest. Our final point is uh, judge. If you look in the final verses, what, how, how David describes this Lord, he says he will judge the nations. Verse 6. And after that, he will be victorious in what he does in verse 7 because what you see there is you see a symbolic picture. It's a person who has finished the battle and is now drinking from the river as, as if to say, I can relax now. I can rest. The job is done. And then what happens after that is he lifts his head, which is a symbol of triumph. He's won. So what you see here is that that ruler... Not only is he a ruler not to be messed with, not only is he a priest, but he is the judge of the world. And he will be victorious in it. This judgment is not something that might come. It will. And he will fulfill it perfectly. If you see him as just priest, then let me tell you something. This judgment is not going to matter to you. A certain judgment that is as certain as death and taxes is not going to matter to you. Why? I, I was watching this TV show. Some of you may have seen it. I'm not going to say whether it's good or bad or my views on it, but I will tell you that I watched it. It's called Last Man Standing, it's a sitcom. And in it, this, this little boy comes running up to his, his grandfather and he's like, Grandpa, what happens when you die? Sorry, that was me trying to do an American accent. I apologize it didn't go down so well. And his father, his grandfather, okay, I'm not going to carry on the the American accent. And his grandfather gives the answer that most most people give. I think so many people give this which is, well, you know what, when anybody dies all of them they go to this place called heaven and there's no suffering, there's no tears, etc. And when I watched that I thought, yeah, yeah, that's well, we all believe the, the second part of that statement is true, but the first part is a little bit iffy because it says that everyone, no matter who they are, they die and they enter heaven. Of course, if that were true, then God wouldn't be judge. He wouldn't care for right and wrong because there is no justice. Everyone gets rewarded with heaven. Think of this: it's the heaven is the greatest gift known to man because it is us being in the presence of complete and perfect goodness and love and joy, which is God himself. We can't even fathom how great that gift would be. And here God is offering it to also all the evil in the world. If my kid ran to my other kid and just punched them in the face... And then I took the kid who punched the other kid in the face and I said, Come, let me give you the greatest gift that I can possibly give you. What kind of parent would I be? Certainly not a loving one. No, it is amazing and good that God is just. I don't know about you, but I want to know that evil is dealt with. I want to know that people who perhaps get off scot-free in this life, murderers and rapists and the like, I want to know that if they get get off scot-free in this life, that there's consequences with God. I want to know that he is angry on evil, because that shows how loving he is. Let me tell you this, if you only view God as priest, then you'll hate Jesus as judge. Because isn't he just the just one who forgives? Now, now there might be some people here, and I and I really welcome you and embrace you if you're part of the LGBTQAI plus community. We're so glad you're here. But there's something within those community that that community that many people kind of feel they don't like the idea of God being judge. They love the idea of Him being a priest. They trust in Jesus, and now they have access to the Father. But the idea of Him judging them in their sin is something that they don't want to hear. If they come, that they came to Him, saw Him as King as well, then they'd realize that Jesus does judge our actions, and He's against a certain way of life. But the good news is, and here's the great news: is He's not just a King who judges; He's a Priest who gives access to the Lord. And what better place to find help and comfort as you walk along the journey of fighting your own sin. If you are part of that community, you actually join the rest of us as we all wrestle with God telling us that there are areas of our lives which he doesn't agree with. But that's good because he's king. He's a good and merciful king. Jesus is a priest who is warm and inviting, but he's not the same as Barney the dinosaur because he detests sin and he judges it. However, if you just see Jesus as king, but you don't see him as priest, then you are going to be petrified by God's judgment. Why? Because you'll not be sure if you're good enough. If if you're one of the teenagers here that's part of our youth group, you will know that I've often asked this question, or sometimes we ask our, our life group leaders to ask this question, which is, are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? And most times we get the answer no. And that just shows you a picture of the view that I think many people have, not just teenagers. We have this view we, we, we secretly think, think we, we, we know we trust in Jesus, but if you ask us that question, it actually reveals our hearts. We see Jesus more as king, but not as priest. We need to realize that he's priest. And when you come to him, you realize that he forgives sin. Sin is not dealt with by us being good enough, remember? Remember? Sin is dealt with by the priest who removes the blanket by dying on the cross for us so that we can be saved, that we can have a relationship with the Lord, and that means we have eternal life guaranteed. And so if you are here today and you fear judgment, perhaps today is your day to come to the priest and receive forgiveness. I want to close off with one final thing to say. If that is you, Perhaps today you've come here because you have wanted to either come back into your walk with the Lord, or perhaps you're not even a Christian at all. You've never been a Christian. Today's the day you want to start following Jesus. You can come and speak to one of us. We'll be up here at the front. If you are a Christian who's, been, who, who's here today, and you've been a Christian for a long time, perhaps this is your time to start thinking to yourself, on what side of the scale do I fall? Do I see Jesus more as priest, or do I see him more as king? And start working towards a balanced view of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that this passage challenges the hearts of everyone here as it has done in my my own heart as I prepared for the sermon. I pray that you will help us all to have a balanced view of you. I pray that if there are those here who are needing to speak to someone, that you give them the strength to come up and speak. And I pray this in your name. Amen.